Good Friday, everybody. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we have this freedom and this privilege on this public holiday to gather together and to remember the most significant events in human history. The death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, our Saviour. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning as we think through this portion of your word that you would grant to us understanding and insight, that you would speak into each of our hearts, that you would open, like you opened Lydia's heart, Lord, open each of our hearts and help us to understand and to be responsive, to grasp and to lay hold of this incredible truth that your son, Jesus, stood in our place and paid the penalty completely for our sin in order that our relationship with you could be established, re-established. Lord, this is the greatest event in human history and the greatest miracle that all of us can experience. Grant to each of us this blessing, we pray, on this Good Friday, in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage, the third pa that passage just then that Brendan read, there are three appearings of the Lord Jesus. It says, firstly, that he appears in heaven. This is in the present. That's what he's doing right now. Verse 24 says, The Lord Jesus Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. He entered heaven itself. Now to appear for us in God's presence. This first appearance, first mention of an appearance, is the Lord Jesus appearing before the very throne room throne of God to there be our advocate, to there be our lawyer, our defence, to be the one who intercedes for us and pleads for us. Then the second reference to an appearance is in verse 26, which is the verse we're going to spend a few minutes this morning looking at. <clears throat> and it says, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. He appeared. And then verse 28, the last verse in the chapter, talks about a time when he will appear, a second time, coming um, not, to bring the, not for the removal of sin, but to bring salvation with him. He will yet again appear, appear a second time. So this morning, as I've indicated, I want to focus primarily upon that middle appearance Verse 26, and it's really just the second half of the verse, and I hope that's up on the screen so you can follow the words. There are about five things I want to observe out of this second half of this verse. Uh, five things that are worthy of our giving some time and reflection and meditation to. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So firstly, there is this glorious remover of sin, he. Who is this he that it's referring to? Well, of course, it's the Lord Jesus. Well, who is he? Well, let me remind you. For many of you, these are, are truths that you know and embrace. Perhaps you're here, maybe you're the first time in many years of being in a Good Friday service, or maybe it's the first time just here at Sunnybank District Baptist Church. Glad that you're here. And certainly... If that is the case, then God has some things he wants to tell you and inform you of this morning and do business with you. 
This person that we're talking about, the Lord Jesus, the one who appeared, is very God of very God. The one against whom our sin has been committed, the one who has been offended, the one who has been insulted, the one who has been defied and rebelled against, him. He is the one who came. He appeared to put away sin. He appeared not to punish, but to redeem, to rescue us. The great shepherd in search of lost sheep. So therefore our cause is not hopeless because he appeared and with him nothing is impossible. He is the sovereign God. He didn't become God. He is God. Equal to, one with, inwardly and outwardly, in every way, equal to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. God himself came to earth. He appeared. The Christmas story. Sent by the Father. Arranged and prepared by the Spirit. uh, Chosen and voluntarily coming. He appeared. A memorable event. And in our country, we get to celebrate these two memorable events, Christmas and Easter, which our society and TVs and schools and culture is doing a pretty good job of combining both Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and getting it wrong. Those things can be okay and they're harmless and they're helpful ways probably to celebrate and have fun, but that's not what it's about. Christmas is his birth. Easter, his death and his resurrection. The most memorable events. He appeared. He appeared in order to rescue us. I don't think he could have done it just from heaven, just having decreed it and chosen to do it. This was the appointed divine way. He had to come. There was no other way for us to be forgiven, no other way for our sin to be paid for, for all of our wrongs to be righted. He left the courts of heaven. He laid aside the robes of his glory. He put his own divine attributes and abilities on hold. He didn't give them up. He still had them. He chose not to access them during the time of his earthly sojourn. He appeared. He appeared as a babe at Christmas time, taking upon our nature the infinite, appearing as an infant. He appeared after 30 odd years of silence at his baptism, and for three, three and a half years with public ministry, he appeared. At this time of the year, he appeared in Gethsemane, wrestling, surrendering, praying for us. He appeared on the cross, Calvary, where he received all of the accusations and all of the mockings and all of the humiliation uh, that we are wont to throw at him. He appeared after his death in his resurrection. And he will appear again a second time, as this passage refers to, the glorious remover of our sin, him. He appeared This verse tells us when he appeared. He appeared at the end of the age, once for all, the culmination of the ages. 
People in the Old Testament, people before he came, were told about him. Adam and Eve were told about him in the Garden of Eden. And they undoubtedly passed on that story down through generations and through races. And after mankind was scattered through the flood, the story gets told and retold. Promised. Expected. Prepared for. And then at the climax of the ages, Jesus appears. Galatians 4, 4 says to us, But when the set time had come, when the right time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem in order that we might receive the adoption to sonship. That we might have a legal inheritance, a spiritual inheritance, that we might be made right with God. Those who lived before he came, before he appeared, heard about him, expected him, and looked forward in faith to his coming. The scripture says that these all died believing that he was coming. We live in the aftermath of that coming, of that event, and so we look back in faith and we remember and we, like they, believe and trust. And just like they look forward to his first coming, so we find ourselves looking forward to his second coming, his second appearance. Why did he come? He appeared at the culmination of the ages to deal with our greatest evil, sin, and his greatest achievement, to put it away. The greatest evil, our sin. It's a little word, but it's full of meaning. It's full of pain. It's full of harm. A sin is a transgression against God. Accidental, ignorantly, and sometimes deliberately and defiantly. Doing that which he says, don't. And not doing what he commands us to do. Transgression. Sin is a rebellion against the king. It's asserting our will. It's a clenched fist in the face of God. I'll do it my way and I will not submit to you. It's all of the wrongs we've done. It's breaking God's laws. It's a little word, sin. But it's in all of us, without exception. It's in every area of our being, without exception. There's no part of us not tainted by sin. I'm not saying that we're all as bad as we're capable of being. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there's not one part of us which is perfect, which is without the effects of sin upon us, to greater and lesser degrees amongst us. It's in our habits. It's in our practices. It's in our attitudes. It's in our actions. It's in our thinking. It's in our words. Sin. He appeared at the culmination of the ages to deal with his greatest of all of our evils. Sin is that which it's obnoxious to God. He hates it. He loathes it. He can't stand it. Sin. It's contrary to his nature and his anger burns against it. Sin involves a penalty, a punishment, and our conscience will testify to it. Sin shuts the door of hope. The guilty cannot dwell, go within, dwell with God. Sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be put away. It's blocking the road to heaven. It's blocking the way to meaningful life and to life with God. 
And if it's not removed, this greatest of all evils, we are lost. But he came. He appeared. He, the sovereign God, came into our world and appeared at the culmination of the ages. Why? To put away our sin. To put it away. To remove it. To get rid of it. When Jesus died on the cross and God's wrath was poured out fully, fully on him, he pays the full penalty for our sin. Paid in full. He declares on the cross, finished. It's like having a receipt or a bill and it's paid, stamped on it. Nothing more required of us when it comes to sin if we are in him. Sin no longer condemns us if we are in him. Sin no longer reigns in us if we are in him. Sin no longer excludes us from his presence if we are in him. He is the key. He is vital. He is the one who is not only the one who puts away our sin by the cross, but he is the one who extends his hand to us to reestablish the relationship. He came and removed sin, its penalty. He appears in heaven now before our Heavenly Father in order to deal with sin's power in our life. It's been broken. But he appears in order to strengthen us, to in order to say no to sin. And one day when he returns, then he will remove us from the very presence of sin. Sin's penalty, sin's power and sin's presence, all dealt with, he will remove and there are some wonderful promises in the Bible about that, so that we can experience God's forgiveness, that we can have all of our sin debts cancelled, wiped out, removed, washed away, never to be recalled, dealt with, set free. I'm Micah the prophet. He talks about a deep sea promise. He said um, that God has taken our sin and he's cast it into the depths of the sea. The sea is pretty deep. And I think it was Corrie ten Boom, or she's quoting somebody else who once said, and God has not only cast our sin into the depths of the sea, he's also put a sign on the beach which says no fishing allowed. Dealt with, gone, removed. The prophet, the, the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. How far is the east from the west? infinite not going around the earth it's east from west straight direction or it's jeremiah who gives us the amnesia promise god says i will forgive their sin and i will remember it no more god knows everything but he says that he will not remember our sin once we're dealt with it in christ or finally isaiah the prophet gives a wonderful uh, statement though your sins are like scarlet They'll be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be like wool, cleansed, stain gone. Our greatest evil, sin, and his greatest achievement, putting it away. That's what Good Friday is about. How did he do this? Well, our text tells us that he did it at great cost by the sacrifice of himself. Himself. There was never any other way that our sin could have been dealt with. 
An innocent victim had to pay the penalty for sin. We either pay it ourselves or someone else on our behalf will pay it for us. In the Old Testament, this was illustrated by an innocent animal. That's just a picture of the innocent person who would come, the Lord Jesus. And it would take the full penalty for our sin to remove it from us. He offered himself, his whole selves. Scripture says he loved me and he gave himself for me. Hands, feet, side, body, soul. Whoever and whatever he was, God in flesh, gave himself for sin, for us, in order to put it away. He didn't put sin away by his example. He doesn't put sin away by his teaching. He puts it away in his own person, by himself on the cross, his blood, his life, given in exchange for ours, in our place. And so our sin is not removed by any sacraments, be it the Lord's Supper or baptism. It's not removed by any giving of any money to any charities or church. It's not removed by good works. That doesn't remove sin. He removes sin. And there is no other way. The three appearances of the Lord Jesus in this one, and we've been looking at just that middle one. Verse 26. Who was he? The glorious remover of our sin, God in the flesh. What did he do? He appeared at exactly the right time, the culmination of the ages. Why? To do away with sin. Our biggest problem, the cause of all our problems, but the cause of our separation from a vital relationship with the living God. And how did he do it? By the great sacrifice of himself. Well, so what? What does that mean for us? Let me divide this into a couple of parts. First, let me talk to some of you who maybe you haven't come to that point yet where you've understood that or you've accepted Jesus, that you've acknowledged who he is and what you've done and you've asked for his forgiveness. You haven't come to that point yet. You're still on the way. Well, if that's you, then consider this. If there was any other way that you could be put right with God, if there was any other way to get rid of sin, then there was no need for Jesus to go through this, if there was any other way. The Lord Jesus himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass me by. Take this cup away. Isn't there some other way? Not my will, but your will be done. And sure enough, he goes to the cross and he dies because there is no other way. His is the only name under heaven given amongst people by which we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through him. There is no other way. If that's the case, and I'm still talking to those of you who are still on the way to accepting Jesus, then let me encourage you to conclude if there is no other way then give up every other way that you're trying to be right with God. Whatever you're placing your confidence in or your hope in, give it up. Because it doesn't work. He is the only one who can deal with it. 
Some people put their hope in the fact that they have either godly parents or godly grandparents or they have a godly uncle or aunt in their family who are godly and gracious and religious. And because of their bloodline, they feel or think, they hope they'll get accepted. doesn't work. Some people are trusting in the fact that they were baptised, probably as a baby or confirmed in the church. That's where I fear I think my dad is. I was baptised. Some people are putting their hope and trust in being religious, being you know, obedient and observant of all the religious holidays and rituals and ceremonies. Some people are trusting their own obedience. I've kept all the Ten Commandments. <laughs> well, read them and you'll find out. I don't think so. Or very typical of Australians, Australians I meet and talk to, I'm expecting to get into heaven. I'm expecting God to accept me because I keep the golden rule. I'm nice to my neighbours. I do the right thing. I help people out. And my good deeds will outbalance my bad deeds and God will let me in. No other way. That way doesn't work. If that worked, Jesus didn't have to die. It's because it doesn't work that he came, that he appeared to put away sin. So therefore, for you this morning, let me encourage you to make a choice. Sin's not easy to get rid of. The Lord Jesus, with all of his divinity, with all of his innocence and holy and purity, it cost him everything to do it. We're not in his league. We're guilty and sinful, unholy. And we will not evade God's notice. He will summon us for an account. He will hold us guilty unless we are in Christ. So that's the choice. The choice is, do I let Jesus pay the penalty for my sin or do I rather arrogantly, stubbornly and selfishly think, I'll pay my own debts, thank you. I committed the sins, I deserve to pay them, as my grandmother said to me. And then, for those of you who are followers of the Lord Jesus, if sin has been removed the passage certainly says it does. If we have been pardoned, then we ought to rejoice because we are accepted in him. We're part of his family. We are his children, his sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters together. That's the worldview, the perspective that we are to have as we greet and encounter and converse with one another. We've passed from the realm of selfishness and darkness and God's transferred us to his kingdom kingdom of safety and of light. We have peace with God. We've been forgiven and cleansed of all sin. So don't let the devil worry you. When you sin, and we do, because while we don't have to and the power of sin is broken, we are fallen, we are imperfect, and we make, still make dumb choices. I do. And so do you. Confess it forsake it, repent of it, and move on. Don't wallow in the pit of guilt and self-remorse where the devil wants you to be. Jesus has removed the penalty of all sin. And so therefore, intentionally, magnify the Lord by your righteousness. Put sin aside. As he removes sin, we ought not to indulge sin. He came to remove it. Cooperate with him in removing it from your life. 
submit to him and sacrifice. Romans 12.1 reminds us, in view of God's mercies, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as he sacrificed for us to remove sin. So let us sacrifice for him in presenting ourselves to him, for him to use in whichever way he sees fit. This Good Friday, we remember the Lord Jesus who gave his all for us and who requires our all for him. He appeared once at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Consider it, choose him, and choose not to sin. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, Sovereign Lord, for leaving the courts of heaven to come to this fallen world. We bless and thank you for your life of perfect obedience, for your submission to the Father and to the Spirit, for your sacrificial death on our behalf, in our place, and effectively removing the penalty of our sin, breaking the power of sin. And one day, Lord, you'll come and you'll remove us from the presence of sin. Until that day, help us to make the right choice to confess you as Lord and to submit to you as Lord. May your will be done in us and may you be pleased with our sacrifice as we glorify and thank you for yours. We pray in your name. Amen.